uh, decoupling of uh, U.S. Uh, equities versus Asia, more pointedly China, mm. uh, and whether we're going to have that mean revert and start to see that gap narrow. Uh, for me, I think obviously uh, the policies coming up from mainland uh, makes that uh, uh, narrowing difficult. Uh, but I think uh, with the rising inflationary concerns uh, in the U.S. especially, uh, and perhaps uh, we may start to see uh, uh, the policy from China perhaps stabilize. Uh, I think uh, that could uh, provide us some hope for uh, Asian equities to start to pick up again. Peter, thank you very much indeed for talking to us for, throughout this year. Wish you a very happy Christmas, very happy New Year as well. That's Peter Kim. Thanks very much. That's Peter Kim, Managing Director and Investment Strategist at KB Securities. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. In the markets that are open this morning, uh, the ASX 200 in Australia is up half a percent. It's going to be half a day of trading here in Hong Kong on Christmas Eve. Uh, the Hang Seng looks set to open about uh, 120 points firmer in the commodities markets. Brent crude oil at $76.52 a barrel. And gold is trading right now at $1,809 an ounce. Thank you for listening this morning. Money Talk will return after the Christmas holidays on Tuesday when we'll review 2021 in the world of business and finance and preview 2022. I'll also be here on Radio 3 from 6 to 10 Monday morning, a holiday here in Hong Kong, playing some of the best songs of 2021 as we wind down from Christmas. So do please join me for that. In the meantime, from all of us on the Money Talk team, I wish you a very happy and peaceful Christmas. Do please stay tuned to Radio 3 coming up after the news. Back chat with Janice Wong and Andrew Work in the weather forecast. For today, mainly cloudy, one or two rain patches at first, sunny intervals in the afternoon, maximum temperature of around 22 degrees. And it's going to become cold appreciably on Sunday or Monday. Temperatures are going to fall to 10 degrees or below. Right now it's 19 degrees, 88% relative humidity. It's 8.32. Here's Andrew Shrosky with the half-hour news. Health officials believe a toilet cleaner who works at the airport may have contracted the highly transmissible Omicron COVID variant. It prompted an overnight lockdown of the residential block in Tun Moon, where he lives. Over 1,200 residents were tested at Anhei House in Suhei Court, but no new cases were found, and the lockdown was lifted at 6.15 this morning. Health officials say the cleaner had spent time in, in the storeroom inside the toilet during work and had been in the toilet with preliminary positive cases. He has no recent travel history and last went to work on Wednesday. A preliminary study in Britain has found that people catching Omicron are 50 to 70 percent less likely to need hospital care compared with previous coronavirus variants. It's based on data from people in Britain who've caught the Delta or the Omicron variant since the beginning of November. A number of countries in Europe are seeing record numbers of infections linked to Omicron, as the BBC's Nick Beek reports. It's not clear how the early studies coming from the UK showing Omicron is milder will shape the next decisions individual European countries make. There have already been protests in Germany at tighter controls which target the unvaccinated. It, along with France, has restricted most British visitors. But the World Health Organization is warning once again that blanket travel bans won't work and is calling for more specific domestic measures. A jury in the American state of Minnesota has found a white former police officer guilty of manslaughter for having shot dead an unarmed black motorist. During the trial, Kim Powder said she had mistaken her handgun for a taser. 
when she killed Dante Wright during a traffic stop in April. Body cam video shows her shouting taser before shooting him in the chest with a 9mm Glock pistol. The BBC's Nomia Iqbal reports. Kim Potter had taken to the stand in her own defence. She said it was an accident and had meant to use a taser, not a gun, on Dante Wright. But the prosecution said she was a highly experienced officer who had been trained to use a taser, and so Mr Wright's death was preventable. The jury of 12 deliberated for more than 27 hours. Her team held her shoulders as the guilty verdicts for two counts of manslaughter were delivered. The charges carry a maximum sentence of 15 years and 10 years. Medical workers in the Philippines are rushing to vaccinate people affected by last week's super typhoon amid fears that COVID cases will soar among the thousands living in temporary shelters. Typhoon Rai killed at least 375 people living on nine islands in the southern Philippines. It also caused more than half a billion U.S. dollars worth of damage. You've been listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Janice Wong and your co-host today is Andrew Work. Good morning, Andrew. Merry Christmas, Janice. Merry Christmas. Today we're talking about Christmas shopping and dog licensing. Christmas is almost here and people will be celebrating in all sorts of ways. But even though many see it as a time for family, for spirituality and harmony, chances are people will also be spending a lot more than usual. According to a survey by the Hong Kong Research Association, more than a third of respondents said they've spent over $1,000 during the festive season. How are you going to spend Christmas? Will this be a profitable Christmas season for the local businesses? And can we celebrate without exerting a heavy toll on the environment? At 9.15am, we'll talk about dogs, as the Ombudsman urges the government to keep a tighter leash on owners who breach licensing rules. Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3, email us at backchat at rthk.hk, or just give us a call on 23388266. Now, uh, to kick off our discussion this morning, we have in our Admiralty studio, James Thompson-Sacrani, the CEO and founder of Style Standard at on an online and Christmas fair retailer. And here with us in our Kalimtong studio, we have Greenpeace campaigner Lian Tam. Good morning and Merry Christmas to the both of you. Good morning. How y'all doing? We're doing fine. <laughs> doing fine. Thank you for joining us this morning. Um, let's start with you, James. So um, what's been business? Uh, what's uh, business been like at uh, these Christmas fairs? It's been, it's been a little insane, you know, in all honesty. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm using the example right now of the Conrad Fair, which which is probably one of the biggest and, and large, most popular Christmas market uh, in the season. At the Conrad Hotel, right? That's the one, yeah. yeah. It's run by a group called Prestige Fairs. Um, historically, that's been three different days spread out over the course of you know five to six weeks, um, and, and it slowly ramps up. And we saw this during the protests. Um, you know, thing, Things were quiet. People were a little wary of coming out. Last year, they were canceled. This year, the line to get in on the single day that they did was all the way around the door and into Pacific Place. Uh, so people people are really, really coming out. Um, the, the counterpoint to that, though, is there are a lot of markets that have been going on this season. Um, you're seeing hotels do more. Uh, places like Taekwun or PMQ have been doing them. Uh, private groups have been putting them on. Um, so it, it, it's been really, really busy. So, so more people are going to these fairs, but, but are they buying things there? 
You know, it, it obviously depends on which fairs you're at. Uh, I think some are more profitable than others for, for retailers. Uh, it kind of depends. But generally, I would say, yeah, uh, uh, buying habits are definitely up in comparison to previous years. Do you have any figures? Uh, no, not on a general term. I know for us personally, we saw probably a 50% increase on uh, 2019. Wow, that's a that's a big uptake. Uh, what kind of stuff are you guys selling? So we we do uh, mostly men's style grooming and everyday carry products, uh, everything from ties and cufflinks, uh, shaving cream, face washes, uh, into wallets, key rings, and you know uh, all sorts of stuff on that front. Um, so for us, our market is a lot a lot of women buying for men. Mm. See, I don't get this whole mentality. I mean, like I'm, I shop like a man. I know what I want. I walk in to the store. If they don't have it, I walk out immediately you know i don't look around but these christmas fairs they seem to be the antithesis of that i mean how do these things work what, what's the what's the mentality of people going in i think the biggest thing to remember is most people don't know what they want to buy as a gift for someone else mm -hmm. and so what ends up happening is you go into a space like this where ideally you've got a ton of different retailers selling all sorts of different types of products um and you can go in and and, and sort of let inspiration strike, as it were. Um, if a fair is done well and is populated properly, you're going to see a, a lot of different types of products. And so hopefully something sticks. And uh, what about the packaging used for, for the uh, products at these fairs? I mean, we have uh, Leanne Tam here from Greenpeace, and I'm sure that's something she wants to know about. Oh, absolutely. I mean, look, I, I, I'm glad that Leanne's there because I think this is a big issue. Um, and it's a problem in our industry across the board. Retail generally is quite wasteful. Um, it's hard to say specifically one way or the other. Everyone obviously has very different uh, packaging methods. But generally, I mean, you see a little more responsibility. And, and by buying in person, you're cutting down on packaging waste. Um, we, I don't see plastic bags anymore. You, you, you used to go to these things and every vendor would have a whole stack of plastic bags ready for customers. Now uh, they're paper. Often you're expected to just have your own bag as a customer. Um, so I, th I think waste is reducing, but obviously there's still major issues there. Do the fair organizers, uh, are they starting to put impositions on retailers now and saying, if you are going to present at our fair, we are going to ask that you reduce your, your waste, reduce your packaging, reduce, for example, saying, you know, we don't want you to offer bags to people or, you know, you have to use recyclable bags. Are there any of those kind of conditions coming or is this, is this still to come? I would say 90% of cases, if not more, that's not something that's happening at all. Yeah. Leanne, have you been active in this area? Mm -hmm. Have you been active in this area? Have you been trying to like speak to people that are organizing these types of fairs and, and talking about how they manage waste issues? Mm, actually, we, we are uh, at Silicon Lab with the secondhand stores. Yeah, actually, uh, something like, like Christmas market, we are encouraging the people, maybe they can purchase the secondhand things, like the clothing, the vintage one is, mm. is really trend and popular things. So we... We encourage to uh, the people to think before they buy it. Yeah, to uh, just avoid overconsuming. And also, uh, I remember James have uh, mentioned people don't know what to buy in the Christmas. Uh, maybe the present for their friends. So I recommend actually uh, maybe if if everyone want to exchange Christmas present with their friends, maybe they can have like something like Secret Angel, so you know what. 
your friend needs, and then you buy the present for them, but not uh, randomly buy things. Mm. One of my staff members had a party recently, and everybody was asked to bring something that they had been gifted previously, but they were never going to use. <laughs> but they, <laughs> but it was still usable by somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, maybe. Would you, would you recommend something like that? Uh, then maybe I would recommend maybe they can buy food. Yeah, with like civil in the civil ray store mm-hmm. because uh, food is uh, easier for people. <laughs> To sure. share with others. Yeah. yeah. And Leanne, what do you think about uh, what James just said? He, he said uh, at the Christmas fairs, uh, um, lots of people have, uh, I mean, they're using less packaging and many of the consumers are um, requesting, uh, like, they, they, they bring their own bag, they don't request any plastic bags. Is that what you've been seeing too? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have seen a um, scenario is that most of the products are pre-packaged. Yeah. It's not saying that we we. Uh, request for shopping bags or not is something that the prepackage is sometimes is not so ridiculous. There is maybe a few box, a few layers of the plastic packaging with plastic wrap or like have a plastic box outside. So we encourage uh, like the retailer or the distributor actually can uh, offer some zero waste or packaging free products for their customers to choose. Yeah, actually people just want to buy but not the packaging at all. You can see the data and because for for the international wheel that we, we have produced such a large amount of plastic waste and surveys find that actually more than a half of the plastic we produce is just for packaging. Mm. So if we can offer packaging free products to our customers, uh, in theory, we can reduce half of the plastic waste in the world. Hmm. Right. But it's actually quite difficult. To, I, I mean, in my view, it's quite difficult because nowadays many people, they order online, especially during the pandemic. And sometimes when you order even a very small product, it comes with layers and layers of packaging like you were just uh, talking about. James, what's your view on that? I, mean, I know you do, uh, you're into uh, online shopping too, right? Yeah. So, so actually, a predominant amount of our business is online. Um, and I think, unfortunately, the reality is product packaging cannot go away. Um, and, and the issue is more consumer mindset than anything else. Um, retailers are going to follow what consumers want. And right now, consumers have certain mindsets that just mean plastic packaging is, is unfortunately here to stay. Um, you know, you see things like like we sell leather goods. Um, there's a natural occurrence in leather for, for things to get scratched up. Um, Things to get a little worn, uh, and that and that's perfectly fine. But we can't sell a product that's been scratched. We can't sell a product that's been damaged in such ways. So we need to wrap it in something. Um, and unfortunately, plastic is the easiest and most reasonable choice for from a retail standpoint. Um, so I think a big part of this is actually in terms of developing new technologies. I mean, there there are plastics out there, and I, and I say that using quotes that are dissolvable or biodegradable or anything mm. like that. Is that true, Leanne? I'm, I'm, I'm sure there must be some greener options here. Mm, yeah, uh, I, I heard that James mentioned biodegradable, but at this stage, uh, actually it's really hard to prove that plastic, is like, like certain type of plastic is really biodegradable. It's, it's quite complicated things. And I think it, maybe we can have another choice is reusable. 
Yeah, because I, I know that an online store in Hong Kong have already introduced a reusable schemes for their customers. Their customers can return their packagings to the company, and then the company can uh, reuse those packaging for many, many times to deliver to different customers. I do think that is maybe a new trend, maybe a, a better solution for it. Yeah, this is something where I'm a little confused because you would think with online retailing, you would think that if you have to put something on the shelf and make it attractive to sell on the shelf, you would increase the amount of packaging, right? Whereas if you sold it online, it's sold. It's done. You've collected the money from the customer. All you've got to do is send it. You know, you've already closed the deal, so maybe you don't have to put as much in the packaging. But on the other hand, you know, you've got to uh, bubble wrap it. You've got to maybe, you know, I mean, th this seems like th there's a different kind of packaging that goes along. Which, James, which is it? it when you send something out, as an online retailer, is that more packaging or less packaging than you would do if you're trying to make something look attractive on a shelf so that somebody would pick it up? It's on a general level, I'd say more, but it, but it's different. Um, the packaging that you're worried about necessarily for retail may not be the same kind of th issues that you're looking at for delivery. And, and my big issue with online retail is that's your only touch point with a customer. So everyone I've spoken to in this industry says the same things. Uh, real the reality is uh, you've got to give them a good experience. You've got to give them an experience that they're comfortable with, that they enjoy, um, to the point that, that unboxing, as it were, is, is a thing where people film themselves opening up packages, right? Yeah. And Apple, for example, is, is one of the best at this. If you, if you order a new Apple product, um, it slides out perfectly. It, it's really nicely produced. It's overly mechanical. Um, they they give you a great product experience and and that's what retailers are trying to trying to achieve because it's the only time you genuinely interact with a customer hmm. so 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 you're saying that, that not only do you have to make it attractive for a retail like when it's on the shelf or if you're at one of these christmas fairs but you also have to think about the customer experience when they when they open an envelope absolutely or pick it up when they're at home yeah mm. or mm. i have an idea so sure. maybe is it can you let the customers to choose maybe it would be great if there is an option, customers can choose, oh, I want less packaging, or I want just uh, one layer of paper, but it's enough. So maybe uh, the retailers or the online shop can offer the choice to their customer, and you can see uh, the response of them. I mean, that would be like hotels, right? When you go to a hotel and they're like, hey, yeah. put this little card out that says, don't change my sheets every day. And it's like, you know, part of the fun of going to a hotel is they change your sheets every day. But if you're like, ah, I'm feeling today like I want to save the planet, you have the option yeah. to do that. J James, do you think that uh, you know, if you gave people an option, they would be like, oh yeah, I've got less packaging because I chose it, because I'm being virtuous, I'm saving the planet. Is, it, is that something that would work for retailers, do you think? Or it, for consumers? It, it's something I could see certain brands pulling off. Uh, Amazon, for example, does this already with some of their essentials. Uh, you know, if you buy a sleeve of uh, batteries, it doesn't come pre-wrapped in plastic. You, often it comes just in a, a paper box. Um, the, the counterpoint to that is when when I wrap things for online deliveries, uh, I'm assuming they're going to be pretty beat up, right? I, I assume mail carriers may be throwing it around. I assume it may fall off of something. Uh, I've, I've had cases where it's rained on the packages. I just don't know what's going to happen. Um, and, and so the worry with something like that is if you don't know how it's going to get to the customer, how much how much faith do you have in your packaging? Mm -hmm. um, 
if I cut down, say, on, on our plastic mailers and put it in a paper envelope, is it going to get there dry and in one piece, you know? Um, so I think I think that's a big consideration. Uh, whereas if you're just doing local delivery, you've got your own delivery driver, that's easy. That That's great. That's done. Yeah, I mean, you're in the business of delivering something that people want to see. It looks looks nice when it arrives, right? You can make you look good when it arrives. So you can't, I guess you can't have it arrive and be like all beat up and rained on. And and that, that costs me money because then I've got to return product. I've got to return money. Um, and at the end of the day, you're also, if you're returning product, you're, you're doubling up on your uh, carbon consumption. No, that's true. You've got to send something back and forth, yeah. All right. I, I just have an email here from a, a listener who's uh, not too happy about uh, what we're talking about. <laughs> and this one is, uh, this email is from James. He says, uh, happy Christmas. How disappointing and yet predictable. You equate Christmas with shopping. I think a more interesting program would have been about religion and faith. Why do you choose such safe and dull topics these days? Who instructs you? I remain hopeful that Backchat remains a relevant platform for listeners, but recently you have only disappointed us. Please consider your important and unique role. That's from James. So just uh, quickly, I mean, what is Christmas to, to, to all of you? Is it just about shopping, James? I, I, I would very much like to point out I did not send this email. <laughs> um, look, Chris, Christmas is about a lot of things to a lot of people. Uh, my mother, for example, is very Christian. She, she grew up in a church, literally. Her father was a minister. Um, to her, yeah, that's absolutely a thing. I think these days, you know, my generation, for example, is not religious. Um, and this idea that Christmas is only about religion, I think is, and I hate to say it, and probably controversial, but it's a little antiquated. Um, this is this is about love. This is about family and friends and connecting with the people you care for. Mm. Leanne? Yeah, I totally agree. It's time for friends and families. Yeah, so Christmas for me is a good time that I have holidays and I have had lots of gatherings like to, to meet all of my friends we've seen two weeks it's such a nice festival yeah, yeah but I mean, james for retailers i mean I, when i uh, you know when i was in high school in vancouver in canada and i uh i worked at a bookstore and they would do 25 percent of their annual sales on the day before christmas like literally we would open up early we would have closed late on christmas eve people would come in they would walk in i would just look and be like what do you want who do you got to buy for they'd be like a 12 year old girl Buy this. Go to the cash register. Get out. But if that was a make or break day for the you know cute little English couple, Mr. and Mrs. Hunt from England who immigrated to Canada, and if that day didn't go off well, it was the apocalypse for them. I mean, it ruined their whole year. Uh, it, it was really a focal point of their life that one day before Christmas. People organize their whole lives around this, and I mean, for people who are running small businesses, retail businesses, maybe restaurant businesses, it's the whole month. Um, it's kind of a big deal for these people. And, you know, maybe yeah. we shouldn't make light of that. I mean, how, for you, I mean, you, you've been, uh, I understand you've been in the business for a few years now. How much of your your business is, is dependent on Christmas sales? Uh, so it, it, on a general level for retailers, uh, I, I would say November and December are going to be some of your biggest months. Uh, and I say November because Black Friday has blown out of the American sphere and, and I think is now becoming quite a global concept. Uh, mm. I have local friends who are retailers who do online. Um, 
who do Black Friday. They're not American. They don't celebrate Thanksgiving, but this was it. Uh, yeah, these two months can be very make or break. Uh, I have a good friend who does wine, and Christmas is where he makes his money. This is it. This is this is his biggest season, uh, and that's true for a lot of people. I mean, he probably sits down in the first week of December and is like, okay, do we lay people off or does everybody get a bonus? Uh, I, I think that's actually in January when it when he sees exactly how sales went. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it genuinely, um, I, I've seen how it really can affect his business. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, Leanne, uh, businesses become dependent on these things. Is there a way to smooth that out, or a way to guide businesses towards being less dependent on sales at this time of year, or is this just something that you have to work around as a campaigner for reducing mm-hmm. consumption? Um, I would say we, we would not encourage overconsumption, and mm. we are thinking another way, so how to like consume in a sustainable way. So I have mentioned that it would be great if uh, there were more business to focus on the second-hand market. You can see that uh, for the clothing, for example, actually we buy so many clothes within the year, especially in the Christmas, every day, everyone may want to dress very nice for the parties. Mm-hmm. But I do think that... Uh, uh, it would be uh, more fun if we can just open uh, to search uh, in our home and check if there is any clothes that we have missed it or we, we, we forget them, but they are still very beautiful. Mm-hmm. Then maybe we can just uh, give them a life again. And also, it, it would be great if their secondhand market will be developed in a nicer way. Yeah, everyone can still can choose a new thing in the secondhand market. I, I don't think that we have to stop consuming things, but we have to consume it in a smart way. Right. Look, I, I know I know. every year when I used to go back to Vancouver for Christmas, we go to the Salvation Army, which was within walking distance of my in-laws' place. Um, I got one of my favorite T-shirts there for two bucks. I mean, but Hong Kong doesn't really have a culture of sh- secondhand shopping. I mean, there are vintage stores, but if you go to a vintage store, everything is like $5,000 for a pair of pants or a shirt because it's vintage. <laughs> you know, they don't make money because it's secondhand and they're saving the planet. They're making money because... You know, it's cool, so they got to spend a lot of money on it. Yeah. I mean, how do we, is there is there anywhere people can go if they want to do this kind of like secondhand shopping, or they want to recycle something, or bring it back into the economy without sending it to landfill? Yeah, uh, uh, there is some shops on IG, Instagram. Mm-hmm. Actually, there is a lot now mm-hmm. online store. You can uh, donate your clothes to those online store, and then they have. They will tidy up and then sell to uh, another group of customers. I do think that is a new trend. And and you have mentioned uh, actually vintage is a cool things. What we are going, what we want is secondhand to be a cool things. Yeah. And everyone would like to spend five hundred on the vintage rather than buy a new one. Yeah, but I'm, I'm buying for other people, so I want cheap, 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 cheap. Very Canadian. I want to be cheap as possible. Like, it's the day before Christmas. Where can I go? Do you know some then places you can recommend? Just go Zero Ray store. I will recommend. Well, yeah. what I've mentioned, that actually, nowadays, you, and I don't think that supermarket is a trend, but the small shop, like the Zero Ray store, you can find it like this... Sai Yingpun, Sai Wan Ho, Kennedy Tarn, yeah, like something maybe like Slowwood or uh, another type of jewelry store in uh, Wan Chai. They do have a lot of choice for for us to do, and not only limited to the reusable item like the reusable cutlery. Maybe it, people think that oh, it's reusable again. No, but they do have some uh, consumable goods without packaging. Yeah, mm-hmm. packaging three maybe the dried fruit. 
Yeah, yeah, I think it's very popular, and my friends love that, so I'm gonna buy some for them. So, are you gonna get some dried fruits then? Andrew? I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna get a list of places to go from Leanne after this because I'm not done my Christmas shopping. I mean, so, but uh, James, uh, there's, a, there's another issue, which is uh, distribution within Hong Kong. I mean, uh, probably in the second half of the show, we'll get into like global distribution and what's going on with the global supply chain. But right now, I mean, it's the day before Christmas. People are at work right now. They Maybe they're going to do some last minute shopping. If you make an online order in Hong Kong, can you get something by tomorrow or this afternoon? Uh, tomorrow being a public holiday may make it difficult. Um, mm -hmm. This afternoon depends on the retailer. Uh, some do offer it. I, I would say most probably not. Uh, mm -hmm. You've probably passed the cutoff by a day or two at this point. Um, but if you know it's a local retailer, you can ask. There's, uh, there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, is this possible? Is it acceptable to give a gift that hasn't arrived yet? I mean, can you get, say, say to your family members and say, oh, by the way, I bought you this, uh, but it'll arrive on Wednesday. But here I can show you what it is before that. I mean, is, this, is, is, there, is there a cultural shift with all the online shopping people are doing now that you can, you can kind of pre-gift something? Is that allowed? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're, I'm doing that at home. I got something for my father. It's not going to come in until January. Um, you know, I, what, what I would suggest, um, and, and I know Leanne's going to not enjoy this one uh but get it get a nice little card you know and you can just say hey you know your gifts on the way um you can tell them what it is if you want or just say it's coming uh, i think people get it you know we've been talking to people um who are saying look you know normally i would have ordered xyz off of the internet but now i've got to buy it in person because all right it's james coming in. sorry i have sure. to, I <laughs> to just stop sure. you there as sure. uh, so we have to go uh, take a short break for the news summary um uh, we can talk more after the news uh, when we'll also be joined by simon wong the president of the federation of restaurants and related trades um and uh, just a quick look at the weather uh, mainly cloudy with one or two rain patches to start with sunny intervals later the top temperature will be around 22 degrees right now it's 19 degrees Relative humidity, 88%. Feel free to contact us. Our email is backchat at answk.hk. Our telephone number is 233-88266. And our Facebook page is backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Still here with us on the program is James thompson Sokrani, the CEO and founder of Style Standard, an online and Christmas fair retailer, and Greenpeace campaigner Lian Tam. Also on the line now is Simon Wong, the president of the Federation of Restaurants and Related Trades. Good morning, Mr. Wong. Good morning, Janice. Merry Christmas, and uh, thanks for joining us this morning. So how are restaurants doing this Christmas? Well, we, we expect a very good uh, turnout for the Christmas uh, period. Uh, well, actually since uh, last weekend, uh, we have already recorded um, a big jump in our business. And um, uh, because of the, uh, the spring uh, festival or whatever. Winter solstice. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. And um, uh, the com in the coming days, we have the Christmas uh in the, well, actually, uh, today is the Christmas Eve, and um, we we see that um, uh, all the bookings in the hotels and um, uh, restaurants are quite full. Actually, for the uh, hotel bookings, is um, is actually full already, and um, we expect that um, 
well, only for uh, the business today and tomorrow. Uh, business will uh, be uh, well increased to about uh, you know uh, four four uh, hundred million uh, per day. Uh, only for these two days, and this is uh, quite a record for us. Uh, I well, it seems that uh, people. Because of uh, the year end, are willing to spend a lot more, uh, especially on on meals, and um, they also came out uh, for the celebrating the festival. Um, but having said that, um, the, uh, we also faced some kind of uh, difficulties, including um, uh, you know the getting uh, enough uh, staff for the restaurant trade uh, because um, we have had a, a, a shortage of staffing uh, well for the past few months and um, in December we need a lot of uh, temporary staff and um, the hourly rate of the staff has jumped up uh, to uh, you know, around 100 to even $120 per hour. Uh, this is quite, uh, you know, uh, high uh, expenses for us. Jeez, Simon, my, my daughter my daughter is getting paid 50 bucks an hour to work in a restaurant in Causeway Bay as a waitress. I gotta tell you, she's gotta up her game. I mean, she'd be making yeah. more, more than double. <laughs> That's right, uh, especially for the um, you know, restaurants in hotels and and for banquets uh, in some Chinese restaurants, we are very in need of uh, temporary staff. So uh, the cost of the of manpower has jumped up quite a bit. And also um, uh, lately, uh, because of the increase in food cost uh, due to um, uh, uh, a lot of reasons, especially the um, uh, transportation cost uh, from uh, Europe and from Southeast Asia and even from the America and South America. All these food coming from these countries uh, are affected by uh, the transportation. And uh, the cost has jumped up to at least uh, three to five uh, times, and uh, this would add up uh, to the cost of uh, the whole operation of the restaurants. So I expect that, um, and actually we already see that uh, the food cost uh, has been jumped up uh, for, by about uh, 10 to 15 percent overall. And um, for this uh, menu cost, uh, it has already, uh, you know, increased by about 10% on average. 10%? I, I, I think, Simon, I think yes. it's been a lot more. Like places I used to go for an $80, $90 lunch, now they're charging $130, $140 for like a three-part lunch. If they were charging 110 before, now it's 180 I mean, wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's really, really jumped up in a lot of places. It's definitely noticeable. Are restaurants going to be able to recover from the beating they took last year? I mean, everyone's like, oh, restaurants must be doing well now. But like you said, costs are up. And a lot of them took on a lot of debt just to survive the COVID area 
the the COVID uh, restrictions last year, 50% uh, seating, you know, closing by six o'clock for a while. Are they recovering or are they still digging themselves out of the debt hole? Actually, the business for the past couple of weeks has recovered quite a bit. And we have uh, already uh, level of the uh, figures from uh, 2018. Well, last year was um, different. Well, it, it was difficult for us because of the COVID uh, defect. And um, the, well, last year we have a drop of business for, for about, uh, well, by about 30%. But this year, um, you know, for the whole December, uh, I estimate that uh, we will have uh, a record year um, in, well, for 2021. And uh, the uh, total turnover for December this year would be roughly around uh, 10 billion or even uh, come up to 11 billion uh, just for this month. And um, this is quite a good number for us. Yeah, so, so this, this is good. So restaurants are back on track. James Thompson Sakrani, style standard. Uh, is the same true for retailers? Are they are they recovering from the beating they took last year? Uh, for retailers, it's different, I think. Yeah. Well, how about for retailing, James? It, it depends on your industry. Um, I think COVID really helped certain businesses. I, I go back to this friend of mine in the wine industry. COVID was great for them. Um, you know, in counterpoint to, to what Simon saw, uh, when restaurants and bars closed, uh, wine delivery spiked. Um, so it depends what industry you're in. Uh, for us, for example, in, in the style industry, uh, we're slowly picking back up. Uh, we're starting to see a return to, uh, to previous levels. Um, but yeah, just depends where you are. And, and Simon, let's uh, let's go back to you. Um, do you know if any extra anti-epidemic measures will be implemented at, at uh, restaurants uh, that offers buffets or, or hotels? I mean, will they avoid uh, providing certain types of food? Do you know? Well, uh, the the government has actually launched the, the compulsory or mandatory uh, leave home safe uh, apps uh, to all the, the restaurants. And um, people coming in the restaurants has to use uh, these apps, uh, and uh, uh, that's why. Uh, well, well, well. Before people are, are anxious or our trade are anxious about uh, whether the business will be affected, but uh, looking into the uh, figures uh, in the past couple of weeks, we don't see. Uh, any uh, you know uh, effect, uh, negative effect on uh, using the uh, the apps. And, uh, and Simon, you you are saying earlier that uh, all the uh, restaurants are booked uh, over the Christmas period, uh, and so yes. so many people, so most people are eating out. Are are many um, people also uh, ordering takeaways? Do you know? I mean, from the these... well, of, uh, of course, there are still uh, people using uh, delivery service. Uh, but uh, during this period, the delivery uh, services uh, business has dropped um, down to about uh, 10% from 15% overall. Um, because um, a lot of people would uh, rather go out uh, to dine in uh, restaurants and uh, instead of, uh, you know, the calling for delivery uh, and 
you know, having the celebration in at home or, you know, in private areas. Um, but um, we still have, a, you know, the healthy business for the delivery service. You know, 10% of the business is not bad because uh, they, um, it amounts to uh, about 100 million uh, Hong Kong dollars just for this month. So uh, compared to, uh, you know, the pre-COVID uh, period, uh, we only uh, account, well, the delivery service only accounts for about uh, 3% of the business for the rest, for the catering business. And uh, now it has already come up to, uh, uh, you know, 10% for this month. Although it has a drop uh, from the peak, uh, you know, like last year in the, uh, during March, during the period of March to, de- to December, uh, the delivery service would amount to about uh, 20 to 25% of the whole business for the restaurant trade. And um, it has, uh, come down due to the fact that uh, the uh, pandemic uh, has been uh, under control and the government is relaxing the measures so um, people would come out and eat in restaurants instead. All right, uh, Simon Wong, I know you have to go. <laughs> Thank you again for joining us this morning. And that's uh, Simon Wong, the president of the Federation of Restaurants and Related Trades. Uh, so, Leanne, listening to uh, what Simon just said, what do you think? I mean, there are still lots of people ordering takeaways. How concerned are you about the, uh, you know, plastic cutleries that, and the, the lunch boxes that goes with these uh, orders? Yeah, I, I think it's a good sign. Uh, I've heard that. Uh, People can go dine again, not only take away things. But I do think that uh, there's a trend for people in Hong Kong like like to be all the takeaways <laughs> instead of uh, dine. But I, I I think the government or the restaurant actually can encourage more people to bring their own container to buy the takeaway instead of the only the delivery one. And I do think that uh, some delivery platform is kind of doing well is that they have an option to let the customers choose they want uh, disposable cutlery or not. Yeah, I, I think it's the first step. Maybe people just avoid getting the fo- forks or the spoons. Yeah, and the next step is how we can encourage people to bring their own containers or is it possible for a reusable system? Yeah, people can uh, order delivery and also use the reusable container to uh, like consume in a sustainable way. Are we supposed yeah. to have a waste charging program coming into effect in Hong Kong? When is that going to happen? And will that have an impact on you, you mean the, the policy? Yeah, the, the waste charging program. When is that coming into, in, into effect in Hong Kong? Uh, it claimed that it may be, uh, maybe, maybe, think, yeah, in the next year. Because they mentioned that they need a preparation period for like 1.5 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but I, I don't have the details for the preparation things, you know. So may- maybe also means maybe not. <laughs> so we are urging the government to do that. Even though they have to launch the waste charging program, sure. they should deliver more message or to, to do some education, like to tell us how to do it, what to do it. And is there any other schemes or uh, mitigation that let people to choose who, uh, not using the disposable one, but the reusable one?
Okay, J James, I know you have a global uh, clientele, but for deliveries here in Hong Kong, are you, are you worried about this waste charging scheme? Is this something you're starting to think about? Do you think customers are actually going to ask about it and say, oh, can you reduce packaging because I might have to pay to throw it out later? Or is that not really on the radar? From what I've seen of it so far, I, I don't think that this is going to really touch retail right away. It, it, from what I've heard so far, it sounds like it's more F&B. Um, so it's not something on my radar at the moment. Um, long term down the road, you know, we don't know how it's going to look. Um, I think the reality is if the government's going to start asking retailers to, um, to change their packaging, we need to know what the alternatives are. And I don't know that there are that many great options at the moment. Hmm. I, I know that one of the one of the industries I have some familiarity with is uh, CBD, and a lot of people are importing now, and they're small importers, and basically the people that they're buying from are like, "You're not big enough for me to change my packaging. You're not you're yeah. not a big enough buyer for me to change anything, change the practices, uh, or the labeling or the packaging that I'm going to ship to you to suit." local requirements. I mean, are you able to kind of push back on people that you're, you're buying from to say, hey guys, I need you to make a change in packaging. I need you to change this, change that. Or is it really difficult? It's not something we've had to worry about yet, but yeah. um, you know, we, the way we run our business, um, we work with small batch production companies. We work with, um, we work with the CEOs. We work with the founders. We're not, we're not talking to, to massive corporations. Um, so I think there is some flexibility there if we needed it, uh, mm -hmm. but at the moment that hasn't been a problem. Okay, Le Leanne, mm -hmm. when you guys are campaigning, do you try to reach just big local companies that can actually make a difference in how they package things and put them together, or or are you try yeah. to reach global audience, global companies? Uh, uh, a local level, we are campaigning the supermarket. Mm -hmm. Actually, I think do think that they should provide a packaging free option for our customers. Mm -hmm. So like their uh, fruits or like no longer with wrapped up with plastic, and also we are trying to uh, like demonstrate a reusable system, how we can have a borrow and return system for reusable cutlery in the society. We are doing the trial in June 1. Yeah. Mm. Okay. okay. All right, uh, we'll have to leave it there for now. Uh, many thanks again and to uh, James Thompson Sakrani, the CEO and founder of Style Standard and Style Standard, an online and Christmas fair retailer, and Leanne Tam, a campaigner from Greenpeace. Hope you uh, have a happy and a green Christmas. All right, uh, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right, Merry Christmas. It's now. Um, 19 minutes past nine and it's time to turn to our final topic today and that's about uh, dog licensing and the ombudsman has called for tougher action against irresponsible dog owners who fail to license their pets or renew their license. The call comes after an investigation by the watchdog found more than 167 unlicensed and unvaccinated dogs over the past decade. To comment we're joined now by Sally Anderson the founder of Hong Kong Dog Rescue. Good morning Sally thanks for joining us on the program. Good morning. So how common is this pro problem? Well, I mean, I, I, it's difficult to say because, of course, um, we, we don't go around checking people's dogs. But it, if we're looking at the dogs that we take in um, as you know, abandoned dogs, those coming from dubious sources, and I mean um, illegal breeders um, and those types, it, it's very rare that the dogs are licensed or microchipped. Mm. So I think it starts it, it starts there with the um, with the lack of um, of checking on these 
breeders that exist all over the place. So, is I mean, what is the objective of a licensing program, really? I mean, people just kind of accept there's licensing, you got to get your dog licensed, but why? Is it is it targeted at breeders that may be keeping dogs in inhumane conditions, or is it targeted at owners who, you know, they got a stray dog from somewhere, or their neighbor had puppies? I mean, who, really, what's the it, point? It, it was introduced as a, um, as a rabies um, protection mm. because... Um, all the license comes with the rabies vaccination and so that all puppies at five months of age um, must be rabies vaccinated. Mm. So the license is actually proof that a dog has been vaccinated against rabies because Hong Kong has been rabies free now for since uh, the, the last case was in the 1980s. So of course that's really important that um, we don't we don't have rabies reintroduced to Hong Kong. And there's a huge trade now in smuggling dogs over from China. And it's been in the press actually quite a lot because there were the cases of the van loads of uh, dogs and cats that had been smuggled in from China and been intercepted by, well, the first case was was robbers who who stole all the uh, puppies and kittens. And the second case, it was they were intercepted by the police. So the real objective of a licensing program is to keep rabies out of Hong Kong? Yes, yes. Okay, but you're saying now it's, it's, is it more targeted at breeders now to make sure that they're uh, not getting well, no, dogs, I mean, it, dogs from it, other places? It should be. I mean, it starts with it, breeders uh, are supposed to be licensed, and part of that licensing includes yeah, proper care and everything, but there's all of the puppies that are sold are supposed to be microchipped and they're not. And, so, and, and now the, um, to deal with this uh, problem, uh, the, the ombudsman has uh, made several recommendations, uh, including um, uh, it's, it's suggested the relevant uh, government department, the Agriculture, Fisheries and uh, Conservation Department, uh, step up inspections of uh, microchips, vaccinations and licenses. Um, mm. What's your, do you think that'll work? Is it enough? Well, it, it, no, not really, no, because it, it, it's far too random. And, um, you know, if people see an AFDD van and and the staff walking around with their big scanners, they can just disappear off, you know. I mean, that, this is why I'm talking. I, I have this, well, all of us in the animal rescue uh, business, if you want to call it that, um, we all hate the breeders and the pet shops and see that that's, that's really where the big problem um, starts and that's where the, it should always be targeted. I mean, looking at individual dog owners, um, yes, of course, the, all dogs should be microchipped and, and properly licensed. But it's not, it's not such a huge problem. Um, I mean, even if a dog is, is microchipped um, and licensed, um, if it's if it's um, at least that goes some way to being able to identify the dogs. Although, of course, um, a lot of people just say, oh, "That's not my dog. I gave it away," you know, to a friend or whatever. So, it, the whole system actually doesn't really work. But um, unless they uh, increase the staff and, and and improve the system overall, right from the you know the basics. Uh, just sending out uh, random 
uh, staff to check on on individual owners isn't going to do anything. Yeah, I mean, uh, what what is it's kind of confusing right now. What is the state of uh, you know kind of stray dogs in Hong Kong? I mean, you know, for a while, you know, pre-COVID, I was traveling to Istanbul every year in February. And Istanbul has a very strange situation. There are beautiful, purebred dogs, wild, like feral dogs all over the place. St. Bernard's, poodles. I mean, these are purebred dogs that people get and then they just leave them out in the street. And and they kind of have a culture there where people take care of them. They they let dogs do whatever they want. Um, But in Hong Kong, when somebody gets a rescue dog, it's always kind of one of those kind of medium-sized no, indeterminate no. <laughs> species. You, you see somebody walking a dog, you're like, oh, rescue dog. Right, got it. Because that, yeah, that, fi- that, that's, not, that's not always true. I mean, we have a lot of um, small dogs, pure breed dogs. Um, that are abandoned. But, yeah, but yes, I mean, a, a, a lot of the... If you do see someone with, um, you know, walking a mixed breed dog, it's inevitably a rescue dog. Sure. Yes. But it's true, in Istanbul, they have a fantastic uh, attitude towards um, these stray dogs, which is quite incredible. And it would be, um, it would be lovely to be able to follow that in, in Hong Kong, you know, because those dogs are fed um, on the they're street. Every, you know, they're they have... everywhere, though. Yes. <laughs> and you see them yes, all. Yes, of course. There, I mean, there, were, I mean, there were times I couldn't go into a store because a random random stray dog, quite large, you know, was barking at the entrance. Well, I guess we can't yeah. go in there, you know. I mean, yeah. As an owner, I would have been a little bit upset. Mm. Yeah, but I mean, uh, but in Hong Kong, that doesn't seem to be the case. It seems like the rescue dogs are. But you're but you're saying that it's not true that that uh, there are rescue dogs that are also purebreds that have been abandoned by owners. Is that also part of the culture here? Yes, definitely. Mm. Um, because when I first started uh, rescuing dogs, which was in, in the 1980s, um, all of the dogs that we saw were um, like what we call village dogs, you know, Tongao, or sure. I, I call them pure, pure Tongao. Mm. Now, the, the they're mixed breeds, you know, it's because there are so many pure breeds that are abandoned that they they make with the mixed breeds and the original Tongao, and then the the results are a mix. I mean, you know, not just like a mix of all sorts, but a lot of the actual breeds in there. That's why DNA testing has become quite popular because people want to know what kind of breed is in their dog, and and everyone's very surprised with. Oh. Everyone's very surprised when they get a dog. It turns out it's not the dog they thought it was. I mean, I mean, hopefully we can get Sally back on the line because the next thing I want to ask her about is, you know, with these dogs, it, presumably if you're getting a purebred dog, it comes with licensing and presumably a microchip. And if you abandon it, you know, I wonder, Janice, would you get in some trouble for that? If, you know, the... If the uh, Only know, if you get caught, I guess. I mean, if they pick up your dog and they chip it. Sally Anderson, you're back on the line? Back, yes. Yeah, so so if you have a purebred dog and you get it chipped and licensed and then you abandon it, are you going to get in trouble? Like when that dog gets picked up somewhere and they're like, hey, this dog belongs well, to you. We have a record of it. What's going on? I hope, I hope it would be good if these people were prosecuted. But all they have to say is, I gave my dog away and it's not, I, it's not with me anymore. In my opinion, the registered owner should still be liable for prosecution whether or not they gave their dog away um and uh, you know the just just saying oh no no i i gave it to a friend you know a couple of years ago 
and and that's all they have to say. How how easy? Like, I mean, if I if I get a dog, I get it licensed. Presumably, yeah. my name is on the license. I you know, let's say I really legitimately do give it to somebody else. How easy is it for me to say to that friend that I gave it to, hey? Uh, you have to license that dog under your name. Is there like a website I can log uh, into well, and say, not my the dog, of, their dog? On the back of the dog license, there's mm. a change of owner section. And so you, you're supposed to fill in the new owner and the old owner and then send it to AFCD so that they update their records to show the new owner. But people don't do that. They either don't genuinely don't know or they don't want to do it because, of course, then you're the one that's going to end up in trouble if you abandon your dog. So people are put off um, by licensing a dog under their name because they don't want to be the one that's going to get in trouble if, you know, anything happens. I mean, I guess you could say, oh, the dog just ran away and got lost. I couldn't find yes, it. Yes, yes. Exactly. And, and Sally, I just want to ask you one more thing before before we wrap up the program. Uh, the Ombudsman, it also suggested that uh, the AFCD um, should only accept surrendered dogs if the owners can uh, provide a good reason. Do you do you uh, welcome that move? Um, I mean, would it be I effective? Think in, in truth, very few people are now surrendering their dogs to AFCD because there are so many uh, animal rescue groups that will take them. Mm. So... Um, People are avoiding uh, AFCD. But I have already suggested to AFCD that they actually get proper information from people who are surrendering their dogs. At the moment, they don't ask any questions. You want to give your dog to AFCD? That's fine. You just hand it over. I've asked them, why don't they do what we do, like at Hong Kong Dog Rescue? Ask for medical information. Ask whether the dog is on heartworm prevention. Ask if it has behavior problems, reason for surrender, and all the rest of it. So at least when when the dog is rehomed, you've got some information to work with rather than just having a completely blank slate. You have no idea if the dog has aggression problems, if it's desexed, anything like that, which is so important. It's God's work you're doing, uh, Sally Anderson. Thanks for having us. Uh, Janice, I know you're going to wrap up in just a second. Great show today before we go to Christmas. But I, 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 was, I was one of our uh, people messaged me and reminded me I have to let people know that I do know James Thompson-Sacrani. He's a friend. Yes, yes. <laughs> Full disclosure at RTHK. All right, uh, Sally, we'll, uh, we'll have to leave it there for now. Thank you very much for joining us this morning and uh, Merry Christmas. That's Sally Anderson, the founder of Hong Kong Dog Rescue. Also, many thanks to all of you who commented through email and our Facebook page. And of course, I can't forget my wonderful producer, Yuki, of course, and my co-host, Andrew, who has volunteered to sing us a Christmas song before we go. Have I? <laughs> no, just kidding. I don't want to Good put King my Wenceslas, listeners through that. Now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, now, um, here's the weather. Um, mainly cloudy with one or two rain patches to start with. A sunny intervals later with a top temperature of around 22 degrees. Winds moderate northeasterlies and the outlook becoming cold appreciably on Boxing Day with temperatures falling to 10 degrees or even lower. And uh, right now it's 19 degrees relative humidity. 87%. Merry Christmas. From February 27th next year, the eligible age of the government $2 public transport fare concession scheme will be lowered to 60. To enjoy the scheme, Hong Kong residents aged 60 to 64 must apply for a Joyu card via the Octopus app or by mail during designated periods. 
Those born in 1961 can apply from December 1st to 31st this year. For details, visit the Joyu Card webpage at octopus.com.hk slash J-O-Y-Y-O-U or call 22662222. It's 9.32, the news with Andrew Shirovsky. A prominent virologist is warning people not to delay getting booster shots because if the highly transmissible Omicron variant starts to spread in Hong Kong, it will be too late. Professor Malik Paris from the University of Hong Kong says it takes time to build up immunity after getting the jab. Health officials believe a toilet cleaner who works at the airport may have contracted the highly transmissible Omicron COVID variant. It prompted an overnight lockdown of the residential block in Tun Mun, where he lives. Over 1,200 residents were tested at Anhe House in Suhei Court, but no new cases were found. And a preliminary study in Britain has found that people catching Omicron are 50 to 70 percent less likely to need hospital care compared with previous COVID variants. It's based on data from people in Britain who've caught the Delta or the Omicron variants since the beginning of November. I'll have more on these and other stories at 10 o'clock. Stand by for the brew. Uh, sociology prof from the University of Set and Costume Designer, great interpreter of Beethoven. As well, oh so shy, quiet, and retiring doggy council co founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. This is a really for adults, not really for kids. Yeah, well, it's fun, you know. The cipher of what's happening behind the myth. Good morning. In interviews and also observations. Absolutely no way. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Ho, ho, ho. Good morning and welcome to today's Morning Brew. Ho, 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 almost. Hope you're having a lovely Friday so far. Welcome, y'all. It's Christmas Eve, yay, on the Morning Brew. Our special guest at 1010 is New York correspondent Tracy Kwan, moved at great expense from our usual Monday spot. At 10.40 today, a Christmas treat for you from New York Times best-selling author Paul French. He's back. We're going to bring you another of our specially recorded stories. It's Christmas 1932. The snow is falling in old Beijing. A young English boy has been sent to the city to spend the holidays with his relatives and to decide what to do with the rest of his life. Now, between a dozen sumptuous courses on Christmas Day, he notes his recollections of a festive Peking. So Paul...